Hi, I'm Melissa Smith. Hi, I'm Serena Halstead. And I'm Spencer Ziegler, and welcome to Data Lit, a podcast for educators by educators. And today we're bringing you another episode of Data Bytes, where we will chat about the different data that exists in our school system to give us and our listeners a more comprehensive feel of all the data involved in running a school system. Um, last time we had one of these, we chatted with Kendrick Scott in our Office of Security. And today we're honored to have with us Steve Cooney, a teacher from Alston Ridge Middle School. Steve, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Can you tell us briefly what you teach? I am the band director and I have been, let's see, I've been in Wake County for a long time. And this is year 27 of teaching Woo-hoo. band. Yeah. Um, getting close here to the end. So, nope. yes, I, nope. I, I am can't go. <laughs> not allowed. Too good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, te- I teach instrumental music and I'm the arts department chair here. And I am also the Wake County chair of staff development for instrumental music. So, yeah, I have lots of experience with varying types of data. Yeah. And thank you. And that, that's why I wanted to chat with you. Sometimes I think when we talk about um, teachers working with data, we have a particular set of data that we think about. Um, so we want to chat with you to see what does data look like in the band classroom? So we can start with, you know, so what does data literacy mean to you in your position? Well, let's start with, so I think that data literacy in general mm-hmm. is just simply being able to, to read and analyze data be able to form conclusions that can inform future activities. And so when I look at data in the band classroom, I think it's, it's different. It's just, uh, we don't have a lot of quantitative data that we take Mm -hmm. down because it's sometimes hard to objectify Mm -hmm. a song. Yeah. We can break it down into it's, it's, beats and notes and melodies, but then that is not necessarily the essence of music. Oh, so, okay. And teaching a kid from the beginning, you know, like I teach, I teach grade six through eight. And so I teach students who come to me with zero musical knowledge or experience, mm-hmm. as well as teaching eighth graders who have been playing either as my students for three years or even longer. Some kids start playing their, they start taking piano lessons as an elementary student. But when I get them, it's their first time playing a wind instrument. Mm. So that creates a whole different things. And so, yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the data that I work with is just, it's just different. And so I'm always curious as to what, what would be your impressions of data in a music classroom? Oh, good way to turn it around. So You had me thinking because you said data is not quantitative. And so I'm trying to think, so I'm not taking a test. So I'm thinking it's more like performance assessments, mm-hmm. right? So where you, you teach me how to play something and maybe it's like weekly or daily check-ins where the kid is, okay, can you play, read this piece of music and play it on your wind instrument? So I think it's a lot of performance assessments kinds of things. Yeah. And in that sense... That might feel pretty different. It's not necessarily that different from how we think of data in other classrooms in that you oftentimes, like if we think of assessment methods, might use selected response for the foundational skills. I'm, I'm guessing you still probably do that. That would give you kind of quantitative data, like do they know the right terms and those kind of things in order to start. But Absolutely. then you move up for the higher order with performance assessment. <clears throat> 
So um, starting with quantitative data, but then moving on to more qualitative data based on rubrics. And Steve, I remember um, when I was learning piano, right? So there was mm -hmm. uh, two aspects. You had the theory and they had the practical. And I actually finished the theory pretty quickly uh, because again, it was just memorizing, you know, the rudiments of music. So I'm wondering if the data part of it, if one data aspect of that is not that, that just the theory of music, the knowledge mm. of notes and that, is that not something that's happening or co being collected in a band class? So I, well, let me talk about how I teach beginners. Mm -hmm. uh, because with my beginning band class, there are definitely, there is the, those two aspects are very, very separate. So we have one aspect where we are teaching the language of written music. Then we are also teaching at the same time, the practice of producing sound on mm. the instrument. And so sometimes students can progress through one side of that much easier than mm. they progress through the other side. And ultimately the goal is to put those two pieces together Mm -hmm. And then the listener never thinks about either one. They just think about, was that music quality? Was it performed mm -hmm. well or was it not? We won't even get into the opinion of, do you like that music or not? Mm -hmm. Just how it was performed. And so, like, I have a lot of times where I have students that are very natural. You know, I, I don't see it. how quickly we got to me pulling yes. out an instrument. <laughs> First so, performance on air of data. Yeah. So you have you have a trumpet mouthpiece, which I know mm -hmm. our listeners can't see. But in order to make this make a sound, this has to do something. And it makes this funny sound. And that can sometimes take students weeks to mm -hmm. just get what I just did. Really? Yeah. I mean, they just, you know, huh. forming the mouth. Controlling that is something they've never really yeah. had to think about. But then taking that sound and turning it into a trumpet sound, then they have to go, oh, now I have the sound on the trumpet. Now I have to read what's on the page and make sure that I am doing what is written on the page and making it coming out of the instrument. Nice. That is, so I, I very much look at my job as a music teacher is teaching music literacy because the music literacy piece is what a kid can take from, they can learn how to play a trumpet. Then they know how to read the language. So all they have to do is learn how to manipulate a guitar or mm -hmm. a clarinet. It's really just a matter of learning the skill of manipulating that instrument, but they know how to read the music so mm -hmm. they can pick up music and make it happen, whether it's at their church in a community band with their friends trying to figure out a song from YouTube, whatever it might be. So I like to give them the tools that they have to where they don't have to depend on anybody else to create the sounds for them. Mm. You know, we have lots of like the Google lab music tools are super fun where they can choose the, a beat and put mm -hmm. it here. And so, yeah, they can mix and match, but when they can come up with that part, that mixing and matching part on their own, that's where real creation happens. Hmm. And so that's, that's kind of the ultimately through performance experience in school band. That's where I want to see it go is that I want them to have these experiences where they learn how to create for themselves and then they can take it and do whatever they want with it. You know, playing in band is one way to do that. Playing in a rock band in their garage is another Producing beats on the computer is another. There's so many 
avenues they can take if they have those fundamental musical skills. So, Stephen, what I'm hearing with your um, students using data, it's more so in time. You know, unlike when we do a Mm -hmm. test, we wait for our teachers to score it and then give the feedback on it. Yours is more right there at the moment. You need to use this. I need to listen to you correct this and perform it again. Then I'll correct you. So it's always like this in time music. Then I'll see you again for the next lesson. But it's always data at the moment being used. Absolutely. So I look at, it was so funny because when I told my sixth grade students that I was doing this today and they were like, well, how do you use data? (laughs) Well, all right, let's do this. And so they play, we're we're working, just just started working on our new concert music and I just, they played and it was terrible as a beginning band is going to be at the beginning. And I said, well, your data told me that you didn't practice measures Mm. one through eight on (laughs) last night to prepare for today. And so sometimes that literally, it, it makes me as a teacher, I have to stop and go, well, we can't go forward with our lesson because there are you problems and there are we problems. In mm-hmm. And sometimes I look at my job as any conductor, not even just me, but any conductor's job is about putting a hundred kids or a hundred players together and getting them to work in the same room. Mm-hmm. None of that can really happen until those hundred musicians put in their time to master their parts. And so that's part of what we teach in beginning classes and the progression through the advanced classes is how do you go about learning your part so that you can then pay attention to the others? And so my job, like beginning band, I sit there and I was like, I listen and I was like, okay. The trombones are over there not playing the right pitch or half of them are playing the right pitch and the other ones aren't. Sometimes I'm impatient and I go, trombones, that A flat is in third position, not second. Other times, like today, when I'm at the beginning stages, I try to get them to use their ears and discover more. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, you guys play, the, play those three bars and play them with me and I'll play them on piano or I'll play trombone with them. And I'll say, which note didn't match? And all the clarinets will listen and chime mm-hmm. in and go, we hear that the third note that they played is what didn't match. And so then I'll go, what's the third note? And we'll like go through the process. Right, right, right. And so data is definitely, it is real time. Like there's no waiting around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing that frustrates me, and I'm sure many, many teachers is when they make, if they have made a mistake, how do you teach it? reinforce it and prevent it from happening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the most simple thing for a musician is to grab a pencil. And it's amazing how many students don't just simply make a note in their music to prevent mm-hmm. that error from happening again. And so like I, I've gone to the point where I've Velcroed pencils to every <laughs> music stand and I made it part of their daily grade, um, you know, just different like, just use a pencil yeah. and fix so many other things. And I think many students, they don't take notes. In oh, a, gosh, in Steve, now, now you're getting into the kinds of things that we talk about in the classroom, right? <laughs> right. I say the same thing. So I'm a math teacher and the same thing. Guys, you got to write this down. Like you just, it's not a, a visit. It's not a visitor sports. You just can't sit and watch me work and you're just taking it in. You yeah. have to write it down. You right. have to 
that's one way of internalizing it. And it's 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 funny to hear you say that because I would yeah. not have even thought about that. Like in music, maybe it is all audio kinds of things, but you're right. Well, it is I remember, part of that learning process. Yeah. And I remember years ago, uh, one of one of the, you know, what Spencer and I were at, at Durant together. Actually, I think it was before your time. There was, uh, well, there's always a major literacy push. Mm-hmm. Yes. So one one day I, I spent, I spent some time with, with the administrative team going, you call it an anticipation guide. Mm-hmm. I just call it, look at your part and see where you think the challenging spots are going to be. Mm-hmm. And so we use different terms, but really the principles are the same. Yes. Reading music, reading words, anticipating what is going to happen, trying to make their future success happen. And that's where I think in music, we are truly held to a an incredibly high standard, you know, especially modern days. You know, everybody hears perfection. Mm -hmm. We have auto tune. You have re-recording over and over again. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes in live performance the mistakes are kind of what I want to hear the most. I mm. want to hear that humans are making the music and, or how do you recover in a performance when you have made a mistake? Because the audience may not know, but we as players on the stage, yeah. you know, and so trying to teach them that yes, perfection is unattainable, but it is still our goal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I love that point that, there might be different terms, but the underlying idea is the same. And that, that's, to be honest, that's our whole goal for the series in this podcast, that um, the underlying data literacy skills are the same in terms of like right. a kid hearing that note didn't sound right, but I don't know what feedback I, but the teacher then giving the right amount of feedback for them to make the change is no different than a kid not being able to balance the equation. And then the teacher, and I even heard you mentioned, you might give direct feedback, like do X instead of Y. Or you might, that idea of uh, the, the best feedback feels like detective work. You might just give them a, a trail of breadcrumbs for them to follow. And that's the same thing in the math classroom as the band classroom. And the sooner we yeah. can realize that, the sooner we can really tap into all the expertise in our school buildings so that we can kind of come together and solve problems. Yeah, a lot of times I, I use my, my favorite analogy from Shrek, which is about the onions and the layers. And so <laughs> yeah. you, you peel back the layer. And so when I'm asking the full class something, I might be going, what is, as we get closer to performance time, I'll be like, something is still not quite right. Who can help me figure mm-hmm. out where it is? And they might go, oh, it's in the woodwind section. Okay, well, brass, don't play now. Let's listen mm-hmm. to the woodwinds. And so we peel back those layers to, I mean, it might just be, it could be down to one student out of 50 yeah. who is playing a wrong fingering on their instrument that they either missed reading an accidental uh, in the music and, or, or they just, fundamentally learned it wrong, mm-hmm. which oftentimes happen because lots of times kids get excited. They try to learn ahead. Mm-hmm. And then I have to back them up and go, no, no. Okay. We have to do it this way because you're, it's going to affect you later on in that skill development side of things. Steve, um, you know, to that point about how, as Spencer said, we can, the principles are the same, right? Whether you're in a band class or in, in a math class or a science class, it sounds, it feels like, you know, as a math teacher, if I were to walk down to the band room, there are things that I can learn. Like I'm hearing you, I'm hearing notes of um, peer assessment 
that happens in a band class that I would like to see happen in mm. a math class mm. that doesn't typically yeah. happen in a math class. And so now I'm wondering, as a math teacher, if I were to come and observe, can I take away some strategies of how you get the kids to do peer assessments that would benefit kids in a math room? Mm, interesting. Well, I wonder how, I mean, obviously I haven't been in a math classroom in <laughs> quite a long time. Um, but, but there's math happening in music. Let's just put that out there. I always tell yeah. my kids that there's math happening oh, in music. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I talked I talked about it today. We have to, the, the musicians have to count in time. They have to understand the relational. Like, so really a musical note is nothing but fraction. a fraction. Yep. Mm. And so making sure, like I look at students all the time and go, okay, a quarter note is one beat. An eighth note is a half a beat. You cannot play those for the same duration of time. And so they always like understanding reading relationships is important. But what I was thinking about was how much solving of problems on a chalkboard, because Mm. for me growing up, there was a chalkboard and we would learn new problems and one kid would go up and attempt the problem. Mm. Do we, do we even spend time doing things like that? Or is it all now done through technology using like a, 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 you know, a flip grid kind of thing where the teacher is that one-on-one person seeing it, but the other peers aren't necessarily seeing how a student made a mistake in, in, in a problem and then can't offer, like they could offer their suggestions for, you know, like step by step. Yeah, but I think like you mentioned, like so the problem solving, right? Just you've mentioned so many problem solving strategies just in the way you are running your class. And so I think mm-hmm. our listeners can hear that and apply, hey, here's a strategy. Others, where's that mistake? Like we talk about it. We've talked about this in our podcast, that error analysis. So again, even mm-hmm. the way how you do error analysis in your class, we can learn from that in other classes and apply similar strategies. So I think right. again. Yeah. It comes down to that we're all doing similar work, I guess. Yeah. And, and early on, you, you spoke on how you rely on a lot of um, qualitative data. And just a couple episodes back, if I'm remembering, we we talked about um, how for some reason in schools, we tend to prioritize quantitative data over qualitative data. And just because mm-hmm. something's used with a rubric doesn't mean it's any less valid than something that might be quantitative data. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you're using both to get a big picture. And I think this kind of speaks to um, there's value in things that you measure other ways too. So Stephen, you know, I'm just listening to this and I'm like, I wish my son would just listen to you. He likes playing the drum, but he does not like to practice. And I think that I've gotten this answer, but I'm going to ask still. So what is one fact about data you work with that you would love for our listeners um, to hear? Something that, you know, they will find really interesting about the data that you're working with. Oh. Well, uh, that we actually have it and that it is real <laughs> and we use it in music. We're not just playtime and that you know, it does exist. I think kind of what I've said before, I said, just thinking about that, the performing arts, the data is in real time. And we, we as teachers and facilitators from the students try to make that happen mm-hmm. so that they can take the data. They can say, take what we say, go home apply it in their own time, and then hopefully make improvements for the next day. And ultimately, we just want the kids to improve their skills so that 
as I say, it's, you know, it's good to have fun, but it's more fun to be good. And mm. the, the better you are, the better music you play, the more fun it is, the better musicians you play with, which makes it more fun. And so it's that cycle of improvement that brings more people to playing music for a lifetime. I like that. Yeah. And as, as you're speaking, I keep thinking of things like the mathematical practice standards or the thinking like a historian standards, the right continuum stuff, the you know, science experiments, just how applicable a lot of these ideas about how you are collecting and using data are across the board. So what's we've talked a lot about the data that you do have. What's a, What's some data that you don't currently have but wish you did? I wish I knew why more kids didn't try to mm. play an instrument. And I think because in anecdotally talking with adults, I have never once found an adult who said, I regret learning this. Yeah. But I do have every time mm. I talk to somebody, I regret that I didn't keep playing piano or I regret that I didn't mm. do this. I wish there was some way to capture all of that data and somehow give it to kids that are in third, fourth, fifth grade and their families when they're making a decision about, should I try it? In Wake County, we generally start band in sixth grade, and that's your one and only yeah. entry point to, to this whole thing. And, you know, so unless you're at a magnet school that starts in elementary school, sixth grade is that choice. And I, it always, I wish more kids could get involved. And, and I, I, w I don't know how, I wish I had more data that could help me give more to new families to make those decisions. Some students, much like any subject, they will acquire it faster than others. Mm -hmm. Right. Then they, will, then they will hit a plateau. Yeah. And that plateau, oftentimes, uh, I get, I get asked, so band is a year long elective. It's one of the few classes mm. that is year long in the elective world. Right. And I get asked why. And I go, the, the plateau is that point where students realize, oh, I have to put in the effort to and work through and persevere. And if parents and teachers, you know, let a student not learn how to work through that, then they don't get to the good part. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of students, they get discouraged in math or language arts because they hit that thing something blocks them from getting past it and they just give up as opposed to figuring out what's a different way for me to look at this that I can mm. move past. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, that's so applicable across the board. I think in our feedback series, we talked about how sometimes there's this illusion where students that are struggling just assume that students that are doing well, that they just get it the first time because some of that, that growth and that self-feedback that those that are doing well do is, is kind of hidden or invisible. But the value and perhaps part of the value in the performing arts is that like in band, you can hear the growth. You can hear the practice yes, in a way that yes, you can't yes. always do it. Yeah. That John, John Hattie idea of visualize the thinking, visualize the learning. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can learn from our performing arts teachers just where the value is that. So you get the immediate data that you can act on or even better that students or peers can act on. Um, so, yeah, Steve, thank you so much for sitting and chatting about uh, how you think of data. And it was, I think, really illuminating just how the underlying skills are the same and how the expertise that we need is in all the corners of our building. So we just got to find them and realize that we are speaking the same language. 
Thank you. Singing from the same song sheet. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're winding down our season three. So listeners, if you have anyone that you want to ch- us to chat with for future data bites next season or just any new topics for next season, please let us know. You can reach us at www.wcpss.net slash data lit. Steve, thank you again for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. And listeners, thank you for joining us on our conversation. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>